do, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, turn back up to that passage that Petula uh, read for us just a moment ago in Exodus um, chapter 15, as we continue on uh, in our series that we've uh, called A Praying uh, People. So do open that up and have that in front of you. Every uh, now and again, popping up on our news feed, uh, or wherever we get our news these days, there will be the rare good news story, won't there? Clifford referred to the the news uh, and the many hard things we hear, but there are sometimes good things. Perhaps uh, someone who raises uh, lots of money for charity, maybe like a Captain Sir Tom Moore. Or like a news story I read about recently of a man who saw a three-year-old girl clinging by their fingertips to a fourth-story window. And seeing that, raced to the girl's rescue, climbed up and brought her in. Or if a woman that I read about this week who ran into a burning house to pull out their neighbor's children. There are good news stories. And almost always, these kind of stories of, of daring rescues, they're then accompanied, aren't they, with these heartwarming interviews with those who have been affected. Often one of the parents, perhaps, of those children who are endangered, or another member of the family, and they offer their heartfelt thanks and praise, don't they, to the person who's saved them. They say something like this, I just want to thank them so much for their bravery. She truly is a woman of hope. Or I really cannot express how much we as a family owe that person for what they've done. Now, why do we uh, start like this as we begin looking at our passage tonight in Exodus 15? I think because we have something here that resembles that. A daring rescue, followed by what we've just read, a response of praise. Verse 19, I think here, really helps us set the scene as we jump into the middle of this Exodus narrative. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, look there at verse 19 with me. It's an explanation of what has just happened. This is what it says. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But... The people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. As that verse summarizes, we're jumping into Exodus here this evening, just at the moment when the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. But the Lord has then caused that very same Red Sea to fall back onto the Egyptian army that were pursuing God's people. The Israelites have been saved released from the shackles of slavery that they were enduring in Egypt. And now they're free. And what's their response? Well, it's recorded here in the rest of this passage. It is a response of exuberant praise. In fact, they are so joyful that this prayer of praise that we're going to look at tonight is actually a song of praise. A bit like some of the songs that we've been thinking about and, and singing this evening, right? The Israelites just cannot keep it in. They're so thankful to the Lord for his saving work in their lives that they just burst out in song, in thanksgiving, in praise. 
And as we see this song of, uh, prayer, of, prayer, of praise, a prayer of praise together, I think it's going to be really helpful for us as we continue on in this series of a praying people. Because this song of exuberant praise is going to help us to remember the many things that we have to give God thanks for this evening. And so it will then help us, hopefully, to also thank God and praise him in our own prayers. See, for many of us, the reality is that we aren't waking up each day in such a dramatic situation as these Israelites have just found themselves in. Maybe if they're facing harsh slavery one day, and suddenly the next day, they're free. And they're enemies who've been enslaving them into the, thrown into the bottom of the sea. Well, that isn't the situation for us. Instead, we just wake up and get on with the next day, don't we? There are lots of things that concern us or burden us, but we just roll into the next day. And we simply do not stop to remember just what it is that God has done for us. Maybe for some of us, we remember this kind of moment that we see in Exodus 15 in our lives, when we first became Christians. And we were so thankful to God for his salvation that we simply went around everywhere bounding with praise. But it can be easy for that to wear off, can't it? In the day-to-day, the busyness of life, it isn't that we completely move on from Christ and what he's done for us, but it just kind of becomes a bit more like old news. And the salvation and grace that we find in our God becomes slightly more assumed or taken for granted, perhaps. And so we just trudge through life, often completely lacking in thankfulness and praise to God because we've forgotten who he is and what he's done for us. But if you feel any of that sometimes in your life, tonight's passage here, I think, is going to help us in these two ways. First of all, it is going to remind us really clearly that we do have so many reasons to praise our God. He is so praiseworthy. And then secondly, this passage is then hopefully, helpfully going to sort of serve as a model for us. A model of prayers of praise that not only would be so right for us to pray every single day, because God is worthy of the praise, but also, hopefully, as we look at this and pray this going forward, it's going to help us every single day to remind us who our God is. uh, So that the truths of who he is and what he's done for us never simply get lost on the back burners of our lives, but actually remain front and center and what we live for and are thankful for God, to God for every single day. So as we now work through the passage, we're going to see four things this evening for us to praise God for. And hopefully these can then be things that we can regularly praise God for in our lives too. First of all then, in verses 1 to 5 and verses 19 to 21, we're going to see praise of God for his sweet salvation. Guys on the back, I don't know, my clicker doesn't seem to be working, so if you don't mind jumping on to to the first point there, that would be great. Notice with me how this chapter begins and ends with this same refrain. In verse 1, we read that Moses and all the people sing this. They sing this. And then in verse 21, the same words repeated by Miriam and the women. This is what they sing. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Why is this such good news that starts and ends this passage, that all of God's people are singing about it? 
Because in God's glorious triumph, as he throws the horse and the rider into the sea, this means salvation. Salvation for God's people. The horses, the riders, the instruments and agents of war against God's people have been completely defeated. And now God's people are free. See how verse 2 continues picking up on this? The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. This is what the horse and the rider being thrown into the sea means to God's people. It means sweet salvation. And they just can't help but burst out and sing praise to God because of it. Just think about it, right? We read in Exodus chapter 1 that the Egyptians had set taskmasters over the Israelites to afflict them with heavy burdens. And we also read that they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. This was the situation of the Israelites. Harsh enslavement, non-stop manual labor, which then only seems to be made worse as the plagues are given and Pharaoh responds to that by increasing the workload on the Israelites. Now that's their situation. And it's from that pretty desperate, seemingly hopeless situation with no promising future prospects, no rest, no joy, it's from that situation that the Lord acts and he delivers his people. Finally, after the Lord brings the tenth plague on the land of Egypt, the death of all the firstborns, Pharaoh does finally let the people go. And even though he then decides later to pursue the people, as we've just read, God once again delivers his people by mightily dividing the waters of the Red Sea for his people to cross over and then causing those same waters to come crashing back down on the Egyptians. And as we uh, read there in verse 5, as the floods covered the Egyptians, as they went down into the depths like a stone, the people knew that then, at last, they were free. Imagine how sweet that freedom must have felt. They had a hope and a future again. No wonder these people are lifting their voices in praise of God. They are exalting their God. There's no more oppressors. There's no more slavery. They're free. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Those are amazing words, and you can see why the Israelites would have sung them. But amazingly, the truth is that we can also sing those very same words for us today too. Yes, probably none of us have ever been in physical slavery like the Israelites in Egypt, but the Bible tells us that actually all of us were at one point in a different kind of slavery. Slavery to sin, which just like the Israelites, left us in a desperate and seemingly hopeless situation. No chance of escape for ourselves, no hope for the future. But also, just like the Israelites, that wasn't the end of the story. Because the Lord, once again, just like he did here in Exodus, acted in history to save his people, triumphing gloriously. 
And of course, that was through the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He stepped into a broken, dark world, and he came to give each and every single one of us who will trust in him hope and joy. Having lived the perfect life, he then died the death that each of us deserve, the wrath and anger of God falling on him instead of us. And rising again from the dead, he then set his people free, free from slavery to sin that all of us are under in our natural selves, and also set us free from that ultimate enemy of death too. Just as for the Israelites, apart from God's work in our lives, we would be without hope. But just like God cast the Israelite enemies, the Egyptians, into the sea, so he has also done that with our sin. The floods of God's mercy and grace covers our sin. And it sinks down into the depths like a stone, never to be seen again. In the words of the song that we've got to know well over the past few months, what love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they're many. His mercy is more. It is that incredible, liberating news of the free forgiveness and salvation found in the Lord Jesus Christ that means for us this evening, we too can sing, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And when we sing it, we can mean it with every ounce of our being, because that is what he has done for us. If you this evening are trusting in Christ, praise the Lord for his sweet salvation for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never find anything ever sweeter to praise anyone for. So that's where we start here in Exodus chapter 15, and it would be a great place for each and every one of us to start every single day, wouldn't it? Remembering the sweet salvation we find in Christ. So often we forget it. But we need to remind ourselves that this is the truth. Once we were in a hopeless state without the Lord Jesus Christ, but in him we have a sure and certain hope. And because of that, we can praise the Lord every single day for his mercies and his grace. Here's how uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 sums much of this up in slightly different language, but it talks of us today. And, and here's what it says. You, as God's people today, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, in order that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As God's people this evening, we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? To proclaim the excellencies of the God who has done that for us. As a praying people here at Great Vic, let's seek to do that every single day, to proclaim his excellencies, to praise him for his sweet salvation. But that isn't where the passage stops because there is lots more to come, isn't there? Look with me now to verses 6 to 10 and see this second thing that we can also praise God for. 
and that is his incomparable power. Look how verse 6 puts it. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Or then look at verse 7. You overthrow your adversaries as if they were stubble. Or verse 8, at the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. This is the might, the power of the Lord, the maker of all things. Enemies are defeated and all created things, even something as dangerous and as unpredictable as water, they answer to his every beck and call. They're under his control. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? That is who our God is. And then I just love how verses 9 to 10 help us see this even more clearly as they contrast the, the, the enemies and God's. As we read verses 9 to 10, listen out for the strong, bold words of the enemy, but then what actually happens in verse 10. Listen to this. Verse 9, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But then verse 10, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. All of those words, those incredibly blustering words, right? Building and building and building. They're met with a simple... And the enemies are defeated. Overwhelmed. These strong, seemingly strong, powerful words and seemingly strong and powerful enemies... Well, they're completely destroyed. Completely destroyed by the Lord and his right hand. There is no right hand glorious in power like the Lord's. As I was uh, thinking about this past, this, this past week, it got me remembering our move over here to Northern Ireland uh, from England, from Cambridge, about a year ago or so now. And one of the things that we had to move was a piano. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to shift a piano. You can maybe try it after the service. But they are pretty heavy. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, the the movers uh, showed up in their big van, and out of it came two very different-looking people. One was a a scrawny little guy, about maybe five foot seven at the most, and, and the other was this big fella probably six foot plus, with arms like the size of tree trunks. Anyway, moving the piano was interesting. You can imagine, right? One end was lifted right up, ready to go. And the other end, well, it was shifted sort of inch by inch and then put back down again before then shifting another inch. And you can imagine all the way out to the van. And then when you got to the van, there was this ramp. Anyway, the process was a long one. Why do I say this? Because the one guy's right hand, his right arm, it was powerful, wasn't it? It was powerful to do the job that it needed to do. But the other guy's was not at all. Well, here's the truth about our God. He is always and will always be strong enough to do every single job, whatever it is. 
And again, this is such good news for us this evening. It should make us respond in praise because in seeing this comparison in verses 9 to 10, this reminds us that there is no one who will come up against the Lord and against his people who will overcome them. Here's how Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 puts this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, we read earlier in verse 3. And here's the thing. The Lord today is still waging war. Waging war against the enemy, the devil. And sometimes it can seem like the devil perhaps is having his way. But look at Exodus 15 and know he really isn't. If you're a Christian here today, there is nothing that the devil can say or do that can take you from the Lord's righteous, powerful right hand. And remember that one day there will be complete and total victory of the Lord over all of his enemies, including the devil, as we read about in Revelation chapters 19 and 20. Just as God protected the Israelites from the Egyptian enemies, so now he is also protecting his people today by this same incomparable, mighty power. As you hear that this evening, take heart. Take heart and know that nothing and no one can come against you that is even comparable to the Lord. And so we can praise him for that tonight too, can't we? That we are safe in his hands. Even right, that ultimate enemy of death, well, it's been defeated by his power too. As Christ rises defeating death. So we can even declare this evening with Paul, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The Lord's power is incomparable. It overcomes all of his enemies. And so we, his people, have every reason to praise him this evening because of that. It gives us hope and strength and certainty for the present and also for the future as well. As we continue on into this week, we can know that the same powerful Lord that protected and overcame the Egyptians, he goes with us every step of the way. So that's the first two things that we see God praised for. His sweet salvation and his incomparable power. Now see with me the third, linked there to the second, and that is his incomparable character. Verse 11 says this, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds? doing wonders. And then verse 13 adds to this, saying, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. See, not only is there no one else like the Lord, awesome in glorious deeds and power like we've just been thinking about, but there is also no one like the Lord, majestic in holiness leading his people in steadfast love. And again, this is such a reason for us to praise him tonight. First, because in considering God's holiness, 
we see that not only is he powerful, but he is also perfect. He is completely good. Here's how one author puts it about holiness. He writes, The core idea behind holiness is absolute moral purity. God is not only perfectly good, but he is also the source and standard of goodness. And because of that, we praise him. Because unlike any other powerful leader will ever come across here on earth, there is never any questioning his motives and his ways. He is perfect. Some leaders here on earth, they might be very powerful, right? But, but we're not sure. Will they do what is best for the people? Sometimes maybe they will, but certainly they won't always. Well, that isn't the case with God. God will always act in accordance with his holiness, his perfection. And that should cause us to praise him this evening. Not only that, though, we praise God also because of his character of showing steadfast love towards the people that he redeems. A bit like holiness, the praiseworthiness of the Lord's steadfast love is seen in contrast, right? God is holy, we are not. Well, likewise, so it is with the Lord's steadfast love. We see time and time again in the Old Testament that the Lord shows steadfast love to his people, but those very same people are completely lacking in love for him. You could turn to so many places in the Old Testament to see this, but but shockingly and really strikingly, listen to how Psalm 106 describes the very same people that we are reading about this evening, who are praising God. Listen to how Psalm 106 puts it. So the Lord saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy, like we just read here. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words and they sang his praise. Perhaps it's talking to this exact song that we're looking at tonight. But then, shockingly, listen to what happens next. Verse 13, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. And the psalm goes on and on of making and worshipping a golden calf and more and more. The Lord is steadfast in love, but his people are not. But even as we hear these shocking words of of what happens, even after what we're reading about this evening, this is the news that we can still sing and praise God for tonight. The Lord continued to and will still and still continues to lead his people in the same steadfast love he has always shown. His steadfast love never changes. And today that is great reason for praise and joy. Because when we look at our own hearts and our lives, even as we look back over the past week, right, we see how quickly we do forget about God. How quickly we do sideline him in our lives. How quickly we live for ourselves and not for him. And we show him so little love. But the incredible news of the gospel, of the the Christian hope that we have, is that that never means that God simply says, right, that's it. I am done. 
I am done with him. I am done with her. I am done with them. No. This is grace. Because again and again, we can know that we are safe in his steadfast love. He will never forsake us. He will never forsake his people if we come to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can know that, can't we, because of Christ. This is how much God loves us. That he would send his only son that whoever believes in him, no matter what they've done in the past, no matter what their past week has looked like, he would send his son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, as we think about that, the only right response to seeing this character of our Lord and God is praise, right? Praise, which is what this song, I think, is meant to ultimately lead us to. Each and every day, what can we remember about God that will never change? His holiness, his steadfast love, his incomparable character. No matter what our previous day has held or looked like, none of those things ever change. And if you are in Christ today, you are a part of his people. A people who we read here he has redeemed. And who he will continue to lead in that same steadfast love until one day we will dwell with him forever in his holy abode. And it's that kind of look to the future that then makes up the fourth and final thing that we see to praise God for in this chapter. In verses 14 to 18. And that is the Lord's future faithfulness. See, not only has God saved his people shown his incomparable power and demonstrated his incomparable character. But as these verses show, there is continued reason to praise God going forward because of all of those things. Because we, as his people, can be sure and certain that he will continue to bless us and he will continue to achieve for us exactly what he has promised. Notice with me that verses 14 to 18, there is a certainty here isn't there? That's maybe a bit strange. See, the people have only just crossed the Red Sea. They they don't know all of these things that they're saying. But they are certain that these things will be true. But as the people go on from here, the people that they meet going forward in the land, well, they're going to be trembling. They will melt away. Their terror, they will have terror and dread that falls upon them. And all of that will allow God's people to pass by, ultimately, so that they, in verse 17, will be brought in and planted on the Lord's mountain, brought to the place where the Lord dwells. And even as this uh, is sung about before it actually happens, this is exactly what happens, isn't it? The Lord does lead his people to the promised land to inhabit it. Listen to what uh, we read in Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, at the end of the people's conquest of Canaan. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. In Exodus chapter 15, the people are so sure of God's future faithfulness towards them that they praise God for it. They sing of what he will continue to do for them. 
And we can do exactly the same thing tonight too. It might seem a bit strange, but we can praise God this very evening for the things that we know he will do for us in the future. We can know that he will do them because he is faithful to what he promises to do. Just like that person right at work, we probably all have one or two people in our minds, people who we know we can go to because they get the job done, right? They've said they'll deliver on the project and they have. So we turn to them again and again, don't we? Maybe with increasingly important projects. Well, so it is with God, but even more. Because we know that God will always do what he says. He will always pull through. He is the most trustworthy ever. So when he says something will happen, it will happen. What are some promises then that we can turn to and praise God for, certain that he will fulfill them? Promises like, first of all, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16, that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It might seem like in our own land, the church is being pushed back to the margins. It might feel like, well, the gospel is struggling to find traction amongst the new generations, maybe. But isn't this incredible to remember? No liberal cultural wave is as strong as the right hand of the Lord glorious in power. Nothing will stand in the way of the Lord fulfilling this promise and fulfilling his purposes. And one of those purposes is building his church. So let's this evening pray that he will do that, but also let's praise him because we know he will. It is sure and certain. Or we could turn to promises like we find in Hebrews chapter 13, that the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Or Jesus' similar words in Matthew chapter 8, that 28, that behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. No matter what comes tomorrow, we can be sure and certain that our Lord and Savior goes with us. And he will uphold us as he continues to show his steadfast love and care for us. And so we can praise him this evening because of that. And of course, ultimately, we can also turn to promises, just like he made to the Israelites, that one day he would lead them to the promised land and to his holy abode, his sanctuary, to himself. Promises like we find in John chapter 14, verse 3, from the lips of Jesus. He says, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. Isn't that an incredible promise that we can turn to and praise God for this evening? One day we will dwell with him forever. We will be with the Lord. And on that day, all of the Lord's enemies will be cast down, defeated, There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we read in Revelation 21 that on that day there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more mourning, because all of the former things will have passed away. This is the future of all of us. As verse 18 of Exodus chapter 15 concludes, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And that means he is in control of the future. 
He rules over it. He will bring about his plans and his promises and his purposes for his people. And that's just one more reason that we can praise him this evening. So as we conclude then here in Exodus chapter 15, we've seen this incredible song, isn't it? An incredible song and prayer of God's people. A song and prayer of exuberant praise. Praising God for his sweet salvation, his incomparable power and character, and his future faithfulness. And isn't that amazing this evening that we can praise God for those exact same things? How can this prayer help us as a, be, to be a praying people at Great Vic? First of all, I think because this is just a prayer that begs to be joined in with. Perhaps this week, as you come to the Lord, you could just open up, first of all, to this chapter. You don't need to read it all, but maybe just open up this chapter and have it in front of you. Glance through it and echo some of the words that are in here. Build on those words. Praise God for all that he has done and all that he is. And then going forward, perhaps, perhaps you particularly know that sometimes you do find it hard to know what to praise God for. Well, these four things that we've seen tonight, I think they could really helpfully serve as, an, as a model, couldn't they? Things to have in our minds as a starting point every single day. What can we thank and praise God for together and individually? What can we thank and, God pra- uh, thank and praise God for in our, in our prayer meetings? That he offers sweet salvation, that he has incomparable power. What can we praise God for in our bedrooms every single morning? Well, that he is, his character is incomparable. He is holy. He is steadfast in love. And he will be faithful to us and fulfill his promises. Maybe you could use these and this song as a regular model of praise in your own life. Remembering that all of us are called to be those who praise the Lord. And let's remember that God is worthy of all of that praise. As we've read in Psalm 106, we don't want to be those people who one day know the glories of the Lord, but the next day forget about him. Let's not let that happen for us at Great Vic. Let's be a praying people who each and every single day remember our God and praise him for all that he is and all that he's done. Let's do that and pray praying people here at Great Vic. Let's pray together as we close now. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Our Lord and our God, we thank you and praise you this evening. Lord, we thank you and praise you for how you delivered your people from the slavery of the Egyptians by your mighty power, how you saved them. And Lord, we thank you that today we likewise know that same salvation, but even more gloriously in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord, that you have redeemed us as a people for yourselves, that through the Lord Jesus Christ you have made a way for us to be set free from the slavery of sin and brought into your presence, the freedom and hope and glory that is found there. Lord, we praise you for your power. That means we can rest in you and trust in you this evening. Lord, we thank you for your character, that though we are faithless, you are always faithful. And Lord, you always welcome us back. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that we know that you also will be faithful in the future too. Lord, thank you for the incredible promises of your word. Help us to lean in on those. Lord, thank you that you promise that tomorrow you will be with us wherever we go. Lord, help us to remember that, to be strengthened by that. But ultimately, in all of this, Lord, help us to be a people of praise. A people whose lips are quick to bring you the glory and honour that you so richly deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to close by praising the Lord. We're going to sing this final song, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done. And it says in the middle there, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Isn't that a great way to respond to all that we've thought about in the Lord this evening? Let's stand and sing as the musicians begin to play.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore.